Happy February, everybody. February 2nd already. Groundhog's Day. If Pastor Zardi sees his shadow, five more weeks of the sermon series. <laughs> but he didn't, so we are on the last week. As George mentioned, we're in this sermon series called Balanced, uh, Becoming All God Wants Us to Be. And it's been quite a journey. It's been fantastic. And here we are talking about relational balance. Relationships are a funny thing, aren't they? We'll talk a little bit this morning about friendship relationships. What we, what we should look for in a friend, we'll talk about our relationship with God. <clears throat> but before we go any farther, I wanted you to see this. I found this online. <clears throat> That's a bad day for a husband. So relationships, right? I don't know how the conversation went after that happened. Um, our text for today goes all the way back to the uh, Old Testament, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in the, in the second chapter, so the very beginning of creation. And our text will speak specifically about the marriage relationship, but we realize and understand that not everyone here this morning is married, so we'll broaden it and expand it to friendship relationships. But as usual, we want to start with God's word. <clears throat> God has made everything. Everything is good. He's made Adam a man. And now we read in chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So as I mentioned, that's specifically about the marriage relationship, but we'll broaden it and expand it to all relationships, specifically friendship relationships. Let's come to, together in prayer. Father, we are grateful for your word. We uh, handle it carefully because uh, there's great reverence involved with reading your word, but with joy and with freedom. So thank you for it. Let us learn uh, what to look for in a friend. Let, let us learn what it means to be a good friend. And let us learn what it means to have a relationship with you, with you and, and why we have one. Would you speak clearly to us this morning? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. So uh, four points up front about what perhaps we should look for in a friend that will give us relational balance. And then the second half of the message really is about what kind of friend we ought to be, what will make us a good friend and give us relational balance in friendships. And point number one is that we ought to choose a friend who will stimulate us mentally. We should ask, will my friend make me think? Will they stimulate me? Will they motivate me? Will they bring out the best of me as God's child? In the book of Proverbs in the 13th chapter, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Find a friend that will stimulate you mentally, that will help you walk in the ways of God. Interesting study uh, published in 2014 in the Journal of Consumer Research. They, they, had a, they did a study with, uh, with how to um, get your friends to help you to avoid the temptation of chocolate. And oftentimes, they found that friends do encourage you to withhold, you know, maybe hold back, we'll get some later, push away. But they found oftentimes that the person that was supposed to help the tempted person also became a tempted person and encouraged them, and together, let's go have some chocolate. Now, funny study here when it comes to chocolate. But the same is true with our relationship. Find a friend who will encourage you to push away temptation instead of going, yeah, that actually sounds pretty good. Let's go for it. Your friends can encourage you in temptation or encourage you in your walk with God. Choose the one who encourages your godly walk. Number two, choose a friend who will support you emotionally. A true friend is someone who's willing to walk with you when everyone else is walking out. 
Someone who'll be there with you when the going gets tough. Proverbs 17, 17, and we'll see this one again later. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. There's a great um, biblical illustration for this in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. If you remember Naomi, her husband dies, her two sons die. She is without family. What is she to do? She has no means to support herself. She has no one supporting her emotionally, so she decides to move back to Bethlehem, her hometown. Well, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, pledges her emotional support to her for her entire life and says, wherever you go, I will go. And the two became inseparable, and they looked out for one another, and they supported each other emotionally. Third thing you ought to look for when it comes to friends is choose a friend who will correct you boldly. How many times has that been one of our criteria for choosing a friend? Paul writes, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Interesting, challenging passage. I've been very interested in that last sentence a lot. Carry each other's burdens. What does that mean, God? I mean, I get what that means, but like specifically, what does that mean? In context, and that's the way we read the Bible, in context, I think it means to carry the burden of having to go to your friend who is walking in darkness and gently correct them. That's a, a burden, I feel. This is perhaps the most difficult point that we'll talk about today because how many of us want to be corrected? How many of us have the boldness to go to a friend who is walking um, outside the bounds of what God says is good for us and gently correct them? God has set up what we call guardrails, uh, not to keep us from the good stuff, but to keep us within the good stuff. Once we go beyond them, we are in darkness, we are in confusion, we are in sin, we are not honoring God. We're asking for things whose consequences will not be good. Choose a friend who will boldly correct you. Christian writer Don Carson says, if it is hard to accept a rebuke, even a private one, it is harder still to administer one in loving humility. And I think we would all agree with that. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, a truly good friend will openly correct you. You can trust a friend who corrects you. Finally, the fourth thing we ought to look for in a balanced relation friendship is to choose a friend who will strengthen you spiritually. All of us need spiritual encouragement, someone with whom we can share our struggles. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. His given name, we know this from the Bible, is Joses, J-O-S-E-S. But his apostle friends renamed him Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. In Hebrew, the word bar is son. Bar mitzvah means you're now son of the law. Barnabas was a son of encouragement or the one who encourages. And we don't have a lot of details about Joseph, now Barnabas, but he must have been the guy that was with Peter and John and the apostles saying, go, I'm your biggest cheerleader. Go spread the news of Jesus and what he has done. Be encouraged. Martin Luther, the great reformer, had an encourager, kind of a bookish guy, kind of quiet. His name was Philip Melanchthon, very cerebral, very academic, but Luther's great supporter, his great encourager. And again, I'm not sure, but he probably said to Luther, go and teach the Bible, get the church back to the Bible and the truths that we find there. And it's very interesting. They were so close that if you go to Luther's uh, grave, his burial site in Wittenberg, Germany, Luther is buried underneath the stone. On one side is his wife, Katie, and on the other side is this guy, Philip Melanchthon. The three of them, I don't know, buried together 
because they were that close. I have a friend named Doug Seletsky. A lot of you know him. He's a son of this congregation. He's the pastor at our sister church, Community of Hope in Broadview Heights. He started the Saturday evening service. He's a, he's a wonderful encourager. I talked to him again this week, and he encouraged me in the faith and in the truths of the gospel. I love that guy. As a matter of fact, as I love him so much, when I'm buried, I'll be in the middle, <laughs> and my wife Kate will be here, and Doug will be next to him, me. And I don't know what will happen to his wife, but... That's just weird. I mean, I'm glad Luther did it, but... So we talked about four things to look for in a friend. Now let's talk about how you can be a good friend. More personally applicable. How can I be a good friend? And we'll make several stops. And the first place to stop is that we ought to accept people unconditionally. Romans 15, 7, accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Here we read that we are to accept one another as God accepted us in Christ, and he forgives us unconditionally and accepts us for Jesus' sake, and we're to do the same with one another. Friends, be reminded that God loves you not because you're worthy of being loved. God loves you because he is love, and love can't help but give itself away. God doesn't love me because I'm worthy of love. The Bible says the opposite. But he loves me because he is love, and love can't help but give itself away. Read this earlier, and here it is again, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, regardless of conditions and circumstances, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. It's a lady I watch on TV that preaches the gospel, and she's pretty good, and she's very honest. She had a hard upbringing, hard life, and she was, used to be pretty crusty. And she's very transparent, and she shares the time where she was in Starbucks just sitting there enjoying her coffee, and a lady walks in, never seen her before, but instantly she knew she hated her. <laughs> she shares, you know, she thought, what, what, is she, what kind of earrings is she wearing? And what makes her think she can pull off those pants? And maybe she ought to do a couple more sit-ups, and she's sharing with us all the judgments that are going through her brain. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Church, let's get to the point where we get past people's baggage and their stuff and love them unconditionally and welcome them and bless them and learn about them and honor them and become their friends. Second way to be a good friend is to help people feel significant, Romans 12, 2. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. When we help people to feel significant, we treat them with respect as equals. We make them feel important, which in turn will endear them to us. From Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. The last sentence in each one of those is very similar, isn't it? The top one, honor one another above yourselves. The bottom one, in humility, value others above yourselves. I've got a simple mind, so I need illustrations to remind me of things. I've shared this before. When it comes to prioritizing beings, God's system is this. I think of the God sandwich. God is the top bun. He is most important. We are to honor him above all things and all people. He is the top. He is preeminent. Just below him, the meat or the cheese or the lettuce or the mayo, those are other people. They are second most important. God most important, 
other people are next, and me, myself, I'm the bottom bun. I'm the lowest layer. I'm the least important in God's economy when it comes to prioritizing and honoring and blessing people other than myself, beings other than myself. We make people feel significant because they are significant. They were God's idea. They are his design. He engineered them. He made them. He ordained the day of their birth. He gives them common grace that we know, a breath to to breathe and food to eat. He loves them. He died for them. Make people feel significant. Our next stop on being a good friend is to stick with Uh, them in tough times. This is related to one of the points we touched on earlier. It's a tough challenge as a friend to support your friend in tough times even when everyone else has abandoned them. Proverbs 18.24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and that last part speaks specifically about Jesus. One of the biblical scenes that we can turn to to think about this is at the cross. Jesus goes through a mockery of a trial and is falsely convicted and sentenced to death, and everyone leaves. Trouble comes, I'm out of here, except for a few of the women and John. And according to this artist, some naked babies with wings. Uh, (laughs) The cherubim, if they were there, were probably invisible. But even Peter, who pledged that, Lord, even if they kill you, I will go with you, and trouble comes and he hits the road. Friends stick with friends, even in tough times. Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, gets into trouble, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And then a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So there's three strands. What does that mean? Well, that's Jesus in your friendship. That's Jesus in your marriage. You're one cord. The other person is another cord. And Jesus is that third. And they're braided together and woven together. And that's a strong cord with the three of you together. And that takes us to our next point. You've got to pray for your friends often. Friends pray for each other a lot. I thank God, Paul writes to Timothy, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I found a blog written by a woman named Rebecca Cooper and it's titled, I Pray For You, My Friend. Let me read just a few words that she posted in this blog. She wrote, I pray for you. I beg God to cover you in strength. I pray for your babies. I ask that he heal your broken heart, your cancer, your cracked spirit. I call out to him to fill you with grace or compassion or empathy for others or for that light that I used to see in your eyes. I talk to him about you. I ask him to refill your cup. I ask him to help you find your self-worth again. And I ask him to shine down so hard on you that your path is clear and brighter than the sun. It's pretty good. Pretty good prayer for a friend. Friends pray for each other a lot. Our final stop in our journey through what it means to be a good friend is that we ought to share the love of Christ with them. Jesus drives a demon out of a man, and he's healed and whole, and immediately he says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus has done for you. Tell your friends what Jesus has done for you given you a new heart. He's renewed your mind. There's now light where there was darkness. There's now life where there used to be death. 
There's clarity where there used to be confusion. There's love where there used to be hate. I'm a different guy, and I know you people are too. Never use the term you people, it's so distancing. I know you guys are too. You're different. Share that with your friends. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Psalm 105.1, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Again, make known among the nations what he has done. Share the gospel with your friends, that it really happened. God really became the man, that Jesus really is God. And he was here for 33 years, and he healed a lot of people and said a lot of cool moral things, but most importantly, his main mission was to go to the cross and die in your place, to switch places with you, because what we owe God the Father because of our sinfulness is our own lives. But the love of God was so great, and there was so much grace, that Jesus said, I'll switch out with you. I'll go to the cross for you. I'll die for you. And the wrath of the Father was poured upon him as punishment for all the sins of the world, for all the brokenness of the universe. And Jesus absorbed it all, and it killed him. And three days later, he's alive again. Share with your friends that sins are forgiven, and even the grave has been defeated. <clears throat> there is no fear in death, because we know we simply go to a new country. We're, we go home. The wholeness that we experience in heaven, in eternity with our Lord, is something that words can't even describe. Share that with your friends. So it was a week ago that we learned about the helicopter crash um, that killed Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and those seven other beautiful, important souls. And the reason I bring that up today is that the next day, on Monday, our life group met and we had a, a passionate discussion about how events in the world happen that seem to open doors to people to talk about stuff. Sometimes when you talk to people about God and death, eh, not so much. But things happen that open doors. I remember vividly after 9-11, a lot of you do too, and I, and I think this has opened a door, at least in some respects, to talk about mortality. That if it could happen to Kobe, it can happen to you, you share with your friend. I mean, this guy, certainly not perfect, we're learning a little bit about his indiscretions and the sinful stuff that he did, like you and me, but he had it all. Great looking, athlete, wealthy, smart, articulate. People loved this guy. Husband, father, nothing was lacking in his life. Yet the day he got on that helicopter, the day he put on his clothes, he didn't know that these are the clothes I'm going to die in. Would you share that with your friend? It could happen to you. I'm not sharing this to, to frighten you, but I'm asking you if you have made provision. Because if it could happen to Kobe, it can happen to you. You're healthy, you're young, you're successful. The clothes you've put on today, you'd expect to be the clothes that you die in. But it could happen. And depending on your relationship with your friend, how much you love each other and how much you trust each other, you're even stronger. It will happen to you. You have a date, and you have an hour, and you have a moment, and you have a second marked when the Lord will call you. Are you prepared? Because you can be. There doesn't need to be fear in death. There actually can be rejoicing because you step over through what Jesus has done. There is an eternity to rejoice in, and you can have it simply by faith. The grace that God gives you and the love he shares is yours simply by receiving. Good friends share the love of Christ with each other. Uh, Julius Caesar, after conquering a region or an area, would have a great military parade to celebrate the great victory and the might of Rome and to prove everyone watching that Rome can't be defeated. But as he watched legion after legion walk by displaying the power of Rome, the undefeatable strength, he insisted that an assistant stand behind him 
and continually whisper in his ear, thou art mortal. Because Caesar was wise enough that he couldn't be fooled into believing that through the strength and the might of Rome that he would live forever. He wanted to be reminded too that one day there would be a day of reckoning, that he would be called into account for his life. And maybe you can share that with your friends too. Maybe this afternoon, Chiefs or the 49ers? Oh, mostly Chiefs, me too. Oh, 49ers. Uh, I like Boza, you know, he played at Ohio State. So at your Super Bowl parties, you know, Super Bowl party is not really a time to talk about death and, and, and resurrection. But, I mean, Kobe is going to be talked about a lot. And maybe it comes up and you share with your friends, man, are you, can you believe that he died? How about, how about you? I mean, it's going to happen to me. Are, are you good with God? Maybe that's your opportunity. So, we wrap up this sermon, we wrap up this whole series with a majestically beautiful portion of Scripture where we learn a little more about our relationship with Jesus. And he says this in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, this is God talking to people, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. A friend of God, it sounds irreverent. It feels a little bit uncomfortable, like we shouldn't say that. Jesus calls us that. You have a friendship with God. So a couple things to think about, some next steps. These are available at the bottom of your worship folders, things to think about this week to pray about. Pray for godly relationships with your friends, that God would be that third strand in the braid that makes the cord. Number two, be a good listener and make your friends feel significant. Honor them, bless them, hold them up, encourage them. And thirdly, follow God's lead and stick with a friend even through the very toughest of times. Be that one who's at the foot of the cross. Let's pray. What a fantastic sermon series, Lord, that you've given us. Thank you. Um, Thank you uh, for instruction on what we ought to look for in friends. Thank you for instruction on who we ought to be as friends. Thank you that uh, miraculously, almost ridiculously, you call us friends. God is my friend. So thank you. Bless us, encourage us, let us march forward to be lovers of friends, lovers of people not like us, to share the love of Christ uh, unreservedly with passion and to give love away like we're made of this stuff. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus, and together we all say, amen.